0: Have you made an honest review? Jump onto fifthwrist.com and read real takes by real owners about their watches. And of course, get involved and write about what's on your wrist. Fifthwrist.com is your independent space to talk watches. Welcome to the Independent Thinking Show for Fifth Wrist Radio. This is a place dedicated to showcasing the great people doing interesting things in the world of horology. My name is Roman, and today my co-pilot is Phil, a.k.a. Pippi. Hey, Phil. How you doing?
1: I'm good, thanks, Roman. you?
0: I'm all right. It's a bit, bit early in the morning, so I'm a little bit ginger, but that's all right. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get through it. Uh, no, really good to see you. Um, I don't think we've done a podcast together for ages.
1: So. No, no, not since uh, Garrick.
0: That's right. Yeah, it was Dave. That's right. No, that was good. No, really, really cool to see you again. Um, obviously, whenever you know we come together for a podcast, we usually have a very cool guest. And today, I'm very happy we have a very cool guest. I know both you and I have looked forward to this conversation for a little while. So our guest today is an... I've got to take a big breath whenever I do these things. So antiquarian horologist, pocket watch maker, uh, pocket watch case maker, I should say, Engine Turner, you know, international man of mystery, uh, Mr. Seth Kennedy. Hello, Seth. Lovely to see you.
2: Hello, Roman. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, I'll stick with the international man of mystery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I put that last. I didn't want to you know, mention your day job immediately. You know, you got to kind of, <laughs> <you know. laughs> no, look, it's it's an absolute pleasure uh, to see. We don't get to speak to your pocket watch case makers all that often. Well, I know Phil might, I don't. <laughs> um, we did have an antiquarian horologist once on the show before somebody I think you've actually worked with. We had Brittany Nicole Cox on the show a little while. Yeah,
2: ago. Yeah, yeah, I know, not not quite worked with, but yes, yeah, so you know, we we know each other.
0: Yeah, yeah I think through maybe through the Quest uh, Trust yeah, or something yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah, 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 cool. yeah,
2: she's due over some point soon,
0: hopefully. Oh, she's coming right. Sorry, in my head, like yeah. I think the way I read it was already happened. So no, but like absolute, absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure to see you. Um, so look, the way we usually start these things you know we we'll, we usually do a quick drink check slash wrist, although in your case it might be a pocket check um maybe we'll do a location check as well and kind of barrel through, barrel into it. What do you think? Phil, maybe we'll go with you you look like yeah. you're ready. you look like you're ready for action
1: <laughs> yeah no no worries well drink check, um I'm breaking the fifth wrist tradition, I've got a nice cup of tea. Yeah. So, because I've got to jump in my car after this and and, and go to uh, go to somewhere else, so uh, no drinky poos for me tonight. And um, wrist check. Um, I've got uh, Seth. I'm kind guess- of known for Seiko, so I've got a Seiko on. I've got a <laughs> nice little got a nice little poke there, and uh, I've actually got. I have. I I I had to rake through. I've got, I've got two pocket watches, so I had to rake through those, of course. Um, they're nothing as interesting as you guys will have, um, but I've got a, an Omega is it 38.5L that I bought at a BHI auction a little while ago and issued um, one, although I think – I haven't checked the numbers. I think it might be literally just after uh, World War Two, And I've got a, a 1920s Rolex sort of stamped thingy that um, – sort of half works i need to service it but um uh yeah and that that's basically my pocket collection apart from a couple of old ones that um we did at watch school that are probably still in bits in a box somewhere
0: still counts (laughs) still technically counts as one um yeah that's very very cool i I actually you know i'm i'm known for my kind of disdain of rolex but the rolex pocket watch is actually really nice i've been sort of eyeing off a couple of those um all right and where are you located mate um i'm
1: just I'm just to the west of London, uh out in Berkshire. Oh, Berkshire. So very I'm good. I'm I'm very near <laughs> funny enough, just coincidentally, uh the nearest uh watch headquarters to me is the Seiko headquarters in Maidenhead.
0: <laughs> right. Wow, okay.
1: <laughs> Which I am I am I'm known for my love of Seiko, Seth. Um anyway. but yeah, I'm basically uh in a triangle uh between Seiko and um who else is round here, Bremont and um, uh, Christopher Wald. So it's like the Le, Le Chouffant.
0: The holy trinity <laughs> of British. <freedom. laughs> now, that's lovely. That's awesome. Um, Seth, maybe we'll throw to you. Maybe sure. tell us a little bit about where you are, what's in the cup, mug, vase. Uh,
2: I is have a cup you're... with just uh, squash, I'm afraid. Nothing, uh, nothing stronger than that. Sensible,
0: either. no problem. Uh,
2: I'm, I'm not wearing a pocket watch. Uh, I have on my wrist my regular daily... Um, Uh, which way up you hold this, uh, uh, W10 that's kind of made up from bits that came in a box that I found various bits. So the movement's actually signed Le although they never made these watches, I don't think. It's just the movement is the same. Uh, And the case, I found the case is date stamped 73, I think. Um, uh, And the uh, the dial is unusual, though, um, in not having a name on it. Um, it's I think known as a a sterile dial or something so um, and from the research I did a little bit of research they made less than a thousand of them or something like that and this dial just happened to be in the box and I kind of built a watch around it wow Um, so I do have a pocket watch in reach handily uh, which is uh, one of the case that I've made a while ago, we've got a tour up at the workshop tomorrow, so I'm um, oh, nice. just going to take this up as an example of one that I've Beautiful. done. Um, obviously, I don't have many of the cases that I've done because they're uh, they with clients. They're not yeah, mine. Of course. <laughs> um, I guess the um, best way for
0: a watch yeah, maker, right? You don't want to hold them. You want to actually yeah. just send them out. No, them.
2: So this one, the, the movement dates from about 1792, or you can get pretty close within about oh. 18 months of when the movement was made. in paris because of the way it's been signed um the maker on it is someone like breguet gave up on paris and sort of fled back to switzerland during the revolution uh this also is signed um uh, for a maker standing in in essence for someone else um and so there were only made watches of like with that signature on for about 18 months
0: that's amazing Um, i mean that's amazing what a time stamp like of a period Imagine what else yeah. was happening in Paris while somebody yeah. was filing away a case. Well, oh.
1: They were busy trying to put decimal time in. I believe, weren't they? Well, were, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Not many really got made. I know. it really didn't work. I don't think the decimal no. time so no. didn't get no. didn't get picked up.
1: So, how long did it take you to research? Um, sorry, jumping ahead here, Roman. How long Please, did it yeah, take yeah, you to re- to re- research? You know, to do the research to find out that that, that watch
2: was made in that eighteen month period um it's uh, well it was uh, a leroy my my french accent is dreadful where uh, leroy that um as a brand still exists i think doesn't it um i think they've restarted think, it yeah. um,
0: no, not the it's the, not a continuous uh, thing yeah yeah yeah
2: no but they were but it, it was a high end sort of watchmakers in paris for i think 100 years or so and i mean mm. there were a couple of different leroys but anyway and so this site uh, is this is cashard c a c h a r d uh, successor to Leroy is sort of what it says on the on the movement um, so yeah it was just a bit of them um, uh, digging around really in, in Leroy history or you know in the books of lists of makers and things but then and Cashard actually ended up in London um, oh, wow. uh, and took on a clock business here in sort of about 1815 1820 so there are clocks signed Cashard London um, ah, so that's cool um, I, could probably so that, a bit more busy, but. How long how long were they in London for? Do you know, Seth? Uh, I don't know. I think he I think he was bankrupt in about 1830 or something like that. I don't. I don't. I, I, yeah, he had quite an eventful life, by the sound of things. From <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> you being left behind, essentially, to look after this business. You know that had that had the wrong type of clients during the uh, during yes. the revolution. Yes. Uh, and then, like I guess, ten years later, ending up in London. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to find out more about him, really. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, yeah it sounds I mean, like
1: one for your book collection, Roman.
0: Hmm. Is there a book on Kasha? Because I've heard of Kasha. I'm not sure there is a book. Otherwise, I, I'd definitely absolutely buying one.
1: Well, you'll you have to write one, Roman.
0: You no, know, look.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I'm,
2: yeah, I, read, read, I, I read a rumour that he actually worked as a watch finisher for Breguet. Ah, that would surprise me. Yeah. I've not managed to trace that. Um, you know, that connection. Um, I mean, it would be nice, I suppose, if you could say, you know, this came out of the same house as Breguet pretty much. Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. uh, Maybe
0: we can get Rebecca Struthers onto this because she's, you know, watch history kind of digging deep that's her yeah. dr struthers that's her thing Re- rebecca if you're listening please you know we'll, we'll send you lots of <laughs> pictures and stuff so thank you in <laughs> no, advance that's um, no, <laughs> that's, that's really cool i mean it, it sort of uh, Seth, my story getting into watches was very much going through kind of the navigation side of things you know the john harrison you know then sure. i went down to kind of the bertoud Leroy the marine chronometers found George Daniels, the book on art of Breguet and kind of, I got lost in independent yeah. watchmaking after that. So that, this kind of thing is very much close to my heart, that kind of mm. stuff. And I mean, that case that you just showed us you know, with a, with a, with a glass case back that you've made, that's yeah. just crazy to me that you can just hold it and still ticks and you can
1: actually see the heart beating. It's that's fantastic, stuff. isn't it? Magic. What, a, just what magical. a skill. pure magical. So, so Roman, I'm going to now uh, go back to the original question. Uh, What's in your mug at six thirty a.m.?
0: It's tea. It's tea. It's where tea. are
1: Where are you? And what are you wearing in your pockets? No doubt. I, in fact, I know exactly what you're wearing, and I'm already envious. So I'm not I might sure. Have to, I might have oh, to leave the call in a minute.
0: Let's see if you do. I do actually, I'm not sure if you do. I, I try. You know, I try to keep our relationship fresh. You know. <laughs> so i mean yeah so it's 6 30 in the morning six forty in the morning so in the mug it's very much just a cup of tea i mean it's just the it's, it's this this is like the this is like the sobriety um meeting it's great i mean it's, it's totally fine it's, they don't feel compelled just, we welcome all people even sober people sometimes um so yes yeah, so it's a mug of tea it's hardly worth talking about um in terms of you know, kind of the horological item, it was really hard to know what to, you know, what to bring. I mean, I wasn't going to be crass enough to bring a wristwatch. I mean, Seth, you know, Seth kind of looks down on these things with absolute, nothing. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, that's no, no, so what I've got, I've got a, I know Seth is sort of, you know, his kind of interest, particularly sort of French and English pocket watches. So I've got a, I've got a Frodsham. I don't know if you guys can see, it's a Frodsham half hunter. Uh, which is, um, I think, hallmarks wise, about 1850 or something, 1856 or something like that. But um, it's got a family crest on the back, uh, which kind of I've tried to date. And I'll send a picture that does come up. I've tried to date this watch, and it's about 1870 from what I mean. It's got an inscription for it, 1870. Um, so it doesn't quite make sense to me that there was a pocket watch made in 1850, but only gifted at 1870. Uh, the interesting bit about this watch, um, the Prochum Huff Hunter, uh, I love a Huff Hunter. Um, it was made, from what I can tell, the, the person it's inscribed to, looking at dates, he um, was one of the original founders of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. Oh. Um, so... Yeah, so when I saw it, I'm like, ooh, you know, it's really interesting. And, you know, history is kind of my thing and art is my thing. So I was very excited to see it. Now, it does have one little flaw in it. And Seth and I have sort of spoken about it. The little case back has fallen off. Uh, you sort of, you know, it clicks into place, but the little spring has um, has gone. And that was one of the, I think one of the ways Seth, you and I kind of connected was where I was badgering you to see whether it's something you can fix. It comes off, you know, like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just, Russell Sturges is the is the guy's name, but Russell Sturges the third. I guess you have to be the third of something to get a pocket watch and inscribed to you. It does help. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and this kind of thing, you know, this pocket watch really kind of started. I've been really getting into pocket watches recently, maybe the last year or so, particularly the last six months. And this was the pocket watch that really kind of sparked it off for me. Um, I went up to London. Uh, for the Worshipful Company of Clockmakers event about 2019 or so, uh, and I met Richard standing there, who's now the proprietor and you know manager of Frodsham, and we kind of got chatting. And I sort of went down a Frodsham kind of pathway, and um, then I found this watch. And kind of you know, I'm very much into pocket watches now. It's a crazy obsession. I've got a little coin pocket watch just standing there as well. You know, so I, I thought I'd better double, not double wrist, whatever the. Yeah. Double, double pocket sounds very wrong. wrong. Um, <laughs> I think you'd get put on some sort of register if you double pocket.
1: But uh, double wrist doesn't sound too much better.
0: <laughs> no, actually, you're you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, so that's 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 kind of me, the sort of an English pocket watch. And the other thing, I've got a couple of pocket watches. The reason, also, I brought this particular Frodsham, a there's an English connection, uh, but also I know it's a half hunter, and I remember I think Seth, I heard you with I think Chris, um, Chris uh, man, I think you did a podcast a little while ago and you talked about the yeah, first yeah. pocket watch you ever made or the first pocket watch case you ever made was a half hunter as well. Hunter, yeah. You started with an easy one, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I thought, I'll, you know, I'll bring that as kind of a bit of a, you know, it has a bit of a resonance uh, to use a horological pun for no reason. Yeah. So that's, and location, I'm in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia, although soon to travel to the UK. Hopefully get to see mm-hmm. you guys. Actually I might get to see both of you, hopefully. You yeah. See. Unless you get yeah, well, I've yeah.
1: I've already uh, I've already got a pass. So, excellent. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's really, I'm usually pretty casual about these things, but you know, with Phil, when Phil applied to see me, I thought, no, no I better write you out a pass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I meant I meant a pass from she who must be obeyed. Absolutely. But, uh, al- although I will say that can be revoked at any time. She has mm-hmm. made that plain.
0: Uh, look, we're all on long standing. Well, I, I can't speak with you, Seth, but I'm on very much long standing probation. It uh, yeah. can be revoked at any stage. Uh, <laughs> but look, um, look, Seth, uh, maybe the best way to kind of get into this topic is maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, you don't need to do a full biography, but just what I'm really interested in is kind of the pivot you made from engineering to kind of horology and particularly poker watches. How did that come about?
2: Yeah, well, I mean I I had no interest in watches as a, you know, into in my into my 20s, like no, you know, late um, blue. Yeah, just uh and uh but was did mechanical engineering at university and was going down that that road basically. Um and um uh, and then got made after university I got made redundant twice in a short period of time. Yikes. Uh, and the second time couldn't find first time walked straight into another job and the second time there was nothing. Um, wow. and so I was unemployed for a while. Um, and then there was a, basically a chance conversation with a, an old family friend who is a dealer in antique pocket watches. and uh, so it was suggested I should go and visit him and um, uh, and he gave me a few things to play with. Uh, basically, gave me a few movements, and I'd never even seen a mechanical, any mechanical watch in bits. Wow. While I was taking apart an 18th-century verge movement oh. and figuring out how it worked. Wow! Um, I think my first one was a seagull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. um, I mean, so no, I mean, you know, these weren't valuable pieces. Sure. Uh, you know, just uh, plain movements, really. But uh, you know, and and it went from there. He he introduced me to the chap who did most of his repairs at the time. Him, a guy called ray bell who i always try and mention is my, a mentor basically for me mm. uh but sadly passed away about five or six years later oh, wow. um and uh yeah and just went from there so i was really in at the deep end like properly you know i didn't sort of come in slowly or or have any um you know i've, I've got no official qualifications or or anything in horology i've, I've come into it um an old-fashioned way, if you like, apprenticeship
0: by, style. Yeah, yeah,
2: very much. So. Yeah, kind of learn on the by bench. learning from others and by practice and yeah. by reading. Amazing.
1: Um, so, so, what, what difference did? I mean, obviously, a huge one. But what, what difference did Ray Bell make to your progression?
2: He, um, uh, there's not many people I've met sort of since uh, that that knew him, but there are a couple. And uh, as they also, he he was um, physically disabled. Um, and oh wow! The okay. biggest thing i learned from him and his hands were not for want of a better word normal if you like yeah, and yeah yet, wow. he was this master watchmaker Magic. and um and so i think the biggest thing i learned from him is that kind of anything is possible in in a sense you know it's like well if he could do it with uh, the yeah, way that, yeah. the way that he was um there's no reason why i shouldn't be able to you know yeah yeah sure. um, uh, and yeah uh, and so i i guess that's been the prime thing i i, I took from him was was um that uh yeah that anything's possible really you know i mean you are never go you're always you're always going to come across things that you haven't tackled before but yes of course if, if they were doing it a couple hundred years ago there's going to be a way of doing it now yeah, yeah
1: yeah and so so how how did that progress did you um did you go to his workshop and or his house and take a bench next to him and watch him or did he give you projects how, how did it sort of work
2: yeah, so he he um, he kind of uh, oversaw what I was getting at the in, in the early days, um, and I'd go down and spend a day with him every month or so, or you know, and that sort of that dragged out and got longer, and he was obviously then the phone. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and uh, showed me a few, uh, you know, specific jobs fixing a fusie chain. Um, he sort of demonstrated making a balance staff, and I then went home and spent about two weeks sort of wondering whether I could do this. And then, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and then essentially, I was going back to him, you know, in, in a week's time, and I sat down, and it took, took me about two or three days or something, but I, you know, produced a balanced staff. Um, and yeah, uh, and another, another thing I remember him showing me, which, which then had later significance was with soldering, really, or doing case repairs, doing like, you know, minor case repairs, um, I remember he, he took a, an inner case from a pair case, just a scrap one that he had to hand, drilled a hole in it and then showed me how to fill the hole back up again.
0: Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's um, awesome. So, um, you know, so. so, so did
1: so, Sorry, did, did Ray m- mainly work on Antiquarian or was he? Was he- a job? Did he do clocks? Did he do modern?
2: No, no. It was all just pocket watch work. It was, right. uh, and uh, you know, the same as what I've ended up doing myself, really specialising. Um, he had a particular passion for earlier work. Um, you know, sort of earlier 17th century and even even 16th century. Um, he, you know, I think as a as a professional in this field, you normally end up with maybe on the side of a collector or two. And I think, I don't know who it was, but I know there was someone who he was buying for or was, you know, looking after some of those earlier sorts of things for. Yeah, gotcha. um, That you don't generally see on the open market, you know. Um,
1: Mm. Yeah, it's kind of um, uh, what I've read about um you know the the daniels route if you like is it you know he so his self-taught watchmaker and came under the wing of um is it cecil clutton and, yes. and some other yeah. people and yeah and and then very much was uh yeah his accent changed somewhat and so did mm. his circumstances
2: yeah yeah i've i've um I, i've got a letter from george daniels that, that i've sort of framed on my wall because uh, oh, wow. when one of the first books that that um that Ray told me to buy was watchmaking, obviously, sure. uh, and I sort of went through it, and um, I ended up writing writing to, to George, uh, and oh, wow. got a very lovely response sort of about a week later, which is probably a fairly standard one. You know, I think I wouldn't have been the only person writing to him. You know, students but and all sorts. Yeah. But um, you know, uh, and saying you know he says something like you, you know, you shouldn't uh, worry about entering watchmaking in a non-traditional route or you know non-educational route if you like you know it's it's the english way or something like that is what he says you know. that's
0: nice yeah yeah so, it's yeah, yeah i mean it's 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 really nice because george does have a bit of a reputation as not necessarily being the most cuddliest of teddy bears <laughs> you know, but it but it is genuinely nice that he was encouraging and maybe he saw yeah. something in you in the letter that you wrote to him you know that that he was clearly responding to something that he could see and clearly he was right you know where you are now
2: i think he was i think he was keen to encourage people into it you know if they showed showed uh, an interest um Mm. i you know i don't think he pushed people away um, sure and then obviously he was willing to share his knowledge to a large Mm. extent you know um i mean the book alone obviously
1: Uh, yeah it's an an amazing book isn't it it's 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 it's, uh, it's a book i find that like like many books of that size and and depth that you can just open at any page and there's something that you hadn't quite realized was there before
0: well i think you guys can when when i do you know anything beyond about chapter two when he's talking about setting up a workshop where to put your bench and where the windows should be it's all very nice but you know i i read it and it immediately you know through the eyes and out through the back of the head but having said that like foundational book i'm really you know Seth, I'm pure enthusiast, idiot, essentially, like no technical skill, but lots of enthusiasm, Uh, probably the most dangerous combination. So yeah, absolutely. Whenever people talk about George Daniels books, I've got every edition on my bookshop. I'm that stupid, Uh, so crazy, Uh, but I couldn't, you know, beyond just having a, and I have got a signed copy here as well, uh, beyond having one just to hold and go, this is very nice, very important you know, most of the content is there. But I'm glad you guys understand it. That's that's all I really need to know.
1: I didn't say I understand it. I said I open it and there's something You like new. it. You're right. Actually,
0: you're right. Exactly. <laughs> See, it's a good... Um, uh, yeah, you're right. I was giving...
1: <laughs> Careful <laughs> with my words there, Raymond. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you...
0: So
1: you got the... Uh, uh, sorry. Um, you, obviously, um, you've already explained that, that Ray sadly passed away when you've been working with him for, you know, five, six, seven years. Um, was there any other mentors that followed him on? Or by, by then, were you sort of enough you know made enough strides that you could find your own route
2: yeah but I mean by then I guess I was uh, you know I was on the way Um mm-hmm. but I would say it was probably at least 10 years from when I started to where I started feeling a bit more confident that um, oh, wow. it's when you come across problems for the second third fourth time and sure. you know that the solution that you've done before has worked and you've then got that you know that you you know that knowledge, that technique, yeah. whatever it is you're doing, thing. yeah, 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 and the confidence that 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 are work. So you know, obviously, I, I still come across issues that it might be the first time I find you know I come across something, but yeah, as you gain experience, you just sort of see the same kinds of things I you know over and over, um, and it helps guide guide what you do.
0: So, so Seth, maybe just, uh, I shouldn't What what, roughly what year was this, like what sort of decade did you kind of get rolling with this sort of stuff? So I started in
2: 2003, I think, was my first baby steps. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. So although baby steps, I suppose, is relevant because my daughter was born in 2005. Right. So just as I was starting to get a handle on things, I then had about two years when I was doing very little um, (laughs) and then almost had to start again. Uh, Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, so, nothing like expanding a toddler's vocabulary of swear words just with your dad tinkering no. and parts flying away, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so always... imagine,
1: imagine if your daughter's just sort of turning, what, 6, 17 about 17, now, then, 18, 18, 18, 18. then you have other worries now. that yeah. you.
0: <laughs> good to have yeah, lots of hammers in the workshop. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Hammers. Yeah, but they're tiny. Yeah.
1: You go, man. Okay, sorry, Raman. So... With, with the mentoring side, are you – I mean, obviously, you know, your mentors were very important to you. Have, have you taken on any – I don't know what the word is
2: – mentees? I was about to ask uh, the same
0: question, so we were totally in sync, exactly what I was going to
2: ask. Uh, mentory, I think, is the actual word because I've used it a bit. and I think Disciples. I
0: we'll go with disciples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: yeah. I mean, yes, I guess is the answer. Um, a few years ago, I, um, I approached someone who was more – Clocky, but was interested in moving into more pocket watch work. Mm. Um, And uh, a lady called Lucy, Lucy Herbert, and she, um, yeah, so she kind of came and visited me quite a few, you know, a few times, but this was only a year, maybe 18 months before the pandemic hit. So that sort of put a stop to those sorts of visits for, you know, a long period. But um, yeah, so there's been a bit, you know, a bit of help and, and guidance, you know, there. Um, where I can. Um, and then also delayed really with the pandemic. Um, I've now got a guy, uh, a guy called Victor um, Perez Alvarez, who is, who I knew previously through the AHS, the Antiquarianological Society. Society. Right. So he's come from a historical background, a uh, historian background, um, but has always done his own sort of, you know, servicing sort of work, mostly wristwatches, but he's got a couple of pocket watches. He's got a few more now, but uh you Know so he was familiar with Verge, you know, with taking a Verge watch apart and putting it back together. Wow. Okay, so he now comes up to the workshop with me a couple of days a week, um, and is doing some of that sort of basic servicing restoration, um, you know, uh, especially and, and learning, you know, uh, you know, and I've sat down and shown him how to fix a fusee chain, which he couldn't do before, wow. and you know, and so it goes on. Um, yeah, wow, it's lovely it's, having that knowledge to pass on, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and yes, it's good to see others, yeah, and others doing it, you know, when, when you know that there's not that many that do what you do. Um, well, you know.
0: I think from a pure enthusiast kind of perspective, I mean, this is really what excites me about this particular horological world. It's kind of the, you know, in the it's like the apostolic laying on of hands. You know, it's this unbroken tradition of a skilled craftsman passing on skills, typically with, you know, through a very close mentoring, apprenticeship style thing. Yeah. Um, it's really lovely. Particularly, we're talking about historical pieces, the stuff that you work in. You know, knowing that they were made in a similar system, you know, would have been a workshop with you know, the you know, the younger makers being beaten. Presumably, <laughs> that's what you do now. This is kind of you know the, yeah, yeah. the Dickensian. No, you maintain a strict Dickensian workshop, don't they Get it for but the really, atmosphere.
2: Uh, there's <laughs> a great image, I think, of a. Uh, I, I don't know whether it's 18th century or whether it's even earlier of a, probably a clockmaker's workshop or something like that. And there's a huge, like, wheel to drive the various machines. Right. And there's the apprentice with his hands on the handle of the wheel, you know, yes. just finding the wheel. Yes, yes, yes. You know, so yeah, that's yeah. what I do. Yeah, that's how I run the workshop. Look, yeah,
0: if yeah. that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I mean, that's yes. that, you know. right. actually, a question I had that you guys would probably much better present to answer is the overlap of skill. So let's say you've got somebody who can work on wristwatches can they step into a pocket watch space? And then similarly, somebody who works on pocket watches, can they step into a clock space? Are they kind of barely overlapping magisteria, if you know what I mean, you know,
2: kingdoms that sort of only barely overlap? Um, Well, Phil, do you want to have a...
1: Short first well i mean the the way i always say it is um clocks you just need to smack them with big hammers uh, that right. that seems to be from a watchmaking point of view they all seem to have massive lathes and great big hammers and be sweaty and bashing them a lot uh, whereas we're very delicate and refined right. um with pocket watches i'm at a completely different end of pocket watches so the pocket watches i look at are much more modern than the you know 20th century um uh, you yeah, maybe very late 19th or, or even to more modern ones than that That cheap sort of Chinese ones that you learn on in watch school and they're very much easier than wristwatches because the parts are so much bigger um, right. if you drop a if you drop a screw you go oh there it is um, you can you can find it really simply whereas the stuff Seth's working on I, I'm amazed by and i think it's a real talent because half the time you're looking there won't be a screw or a lever and you probably have to sit there and and be a historian and a detective and and work out what what should have been there where it should have been what form it should have taken using you know your previous knowledge and then and then go manufacture it
2: yeah i guess i mean i i um i think it would probably be easier for me to make a transition to wristwatch work from right. being pretty much specialist yeah, on modern yep. watches than it would someone who is specialist on relatively modern wristwatches onto old stuff. Right. Interesting. Um, I mean, there's loads of specialist tools and equipment for the modern, you know. I I, I, I I do occasionally do a wristwatch, but I basically go up to, the like, 1950 or so. Right. Uh, once you start getting into shop-proofing, I'm not keen, to be honest. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, and beyond shockproofing now, I mean, I wouldn't even know how to get into a modern watch, you know, sure. set in essence. Um yeah. But equally, I think someone who might sit servicing modern Swiss watches wouldn't know where to start on a 19th modern. century watch, let alone well, something older than that. Of course. Um uh, while, I, while I know it's not 100% accurate, essentially most watches from the middle 20th century or even a bit earlier are lever escapements. <laughs> yes. And... Mm-hmm. You know, exactly so,
0: coaxials,
2: yeah, yeah. If you work on modern stuff, you'll know lever escapements. Of course, but yeah. you go back to the early 19th century in particular, and you've got commonly you've got verges, you've got cylinders, you've got duplex um, chronometer escapements, and lever mm. escapements of various different types, and that's just the escapement, let alone. The various mechanisms you may also get you know repeater mechanisms change uh chronograph mechanisms once they yeah, start coming in uh, different you know different eras. just yes, because things so, were
0: evolving as well at that time yeah. so you get all these tri- tried and trials of different things that maybe get abandoned somewhere through on the way yeah, to our kind exactly. of modern that's right yeah yeah yeah
2: and and so i mean it's part of what i enjoy about what i do is that there's so much variety I, mm. I, I, I feel as though I would probably get very bored if I was just sitting down servicing 50s and 60s wristwatches. Sure. Because to me, they would essentially all be the same, even though I see people, you know, on Instagram or wherever, you know, going, you know, bananas over this movement. And I'm looking at it going, well, it's just an ordinary lever movement. Why is it? <laughs> you know, uh, it's uh, all uh, I mean, that, that's me not understanding yeah. what they see. Sure, in sure, some sure, way. sure, sure. Yeah, um, you know i mean that's my fault in so you know in many senses um but but you know it, it works both ways um so you, do you dabble on the dark side and venture into clocks uh no i i i, <laughs> I, I came not really I, I came up with a quite a strict no pendulum rule um a couple of years ago um so small weren't, with, weren't there some pendulum pocket watches at one point though? no well i really? wouldn't like, they were mock pendulums, so they were watches oh. with Kind of a mock pendulum on the balance that would swing to and fro
0: ah oh, gotcha um, oh, that's clever okay
2: but uh okay yeah so a small carriage clock with a platform escapement or something like that every so often i'll, I'll you know you'll bend do your or something yeah, yeah. yeah but even then you know if you end up starting bushing the barrel the spring barrel and those bits are bigger than in a watch and yes. then it starts becoming more awkward because you haven't quite got the right sized things to do yeah, even that kind of work um, yeah so no, I, I sort of try and avoid clocks altogether, um, and certainly nothing with a pendulum. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I I am quite keen on clocks, but um, I I can't sneak those into my house. So um, yeah, my they do take up
2: would... more space. It's one of the issues, as is yeah. they take up more
1: space. Yeah, my wife yeah. would notice if I turned up with uh, with a long case or something. But uh, oh, this old I should... thing
0: i has been here all the time. You just had noticed. Yeah. I just had my shirt draped over it. I really should put stuff away more often. No, yeah. it's been there. It's part of, part of the phone came with the house. <laughs>
1: But I, I find the, um, uh, the the watches that, that you work on the, the the older stuff. I find that much more interesting than modern stuff. As you say because there's there's so many different ways and routes they've found to solve the problem of timekeeping, and and you can see some of the progress that um, you know watchmakers made. I mean, you get to see it not more hands on. I get to see it in the A- AHS magazine and things, um, and it's just fascinating. You've seen the developments and the different the different techniques they came up with to try and solve the problem of accuracy and uh, and you know it's, it's really good but to, to to learn how to do that is a much more you know lengthy and difficult task i'd imagine than like you say just lever escapements are pretty much all the same they're laid out a bit differently um there's some different complications but other than that they're fairly much work as they work
0: so seth can i ask are there So what are the sources of information? Because I get modern watches, you know, you open up a manual, you can find stuff, technical information. So for the older stuff, you know, are there kind of seminal works, texts that you look at, you know, apart from the George Daniels book that you can go, I, you know, if I look at a French watch, I look at, I don't know, Sonier or I look at, you know, Jean-Claude Sabrier's book or something. You know, if somebody's listening to this going, this is really cool, you know, I can buy an old something off eBay or whatever, an auction house. Where does one begin to acquire knowledge?
2: There's there's nothing that you could say was definitely a guidebook or not. I mean, I've right. got um, oh, it's not here. Uh, I've got a copy of Sonia one one the smaller book of by Sornia, which is amazing because it's written mm. in about 1880, and wow, it's uh, it's him going around talking to watchmakers or all of these specialists who made their individual little thing. Oh, nice! And finding out what how they did how they did their job and writing that all down. I mean, you oh, know, there's a bit more to it than that, but essentially sure. that's it. Yeah, so he's talking to people yeah. who might have been in their 50s or 60s, who might have learned in the early 19th century from their master how to do these things. So it's almost first-hand knowledge, or certainly secondhand knowledge, of early 19th century workshop techniques when mm. it comes to polishing parts and machining parts, finishing them, whatever. And so, I mean, that is a, a really useful... Source, yeah, and there's a couple of other books like that as well that have got sort of some of those sort of bits of uh, uh, bits of info in. Um, there's one I actually I only got fairly recently that's an, uh, written uh English one um by David Glasgow Watch and Clock Making by David Glasgow, again okay. published in was it 1885? Um, oh, good, uh, and it's not it's not a big book, but yes. it's quite there's a lot of pages, um, and again, it's full of um really good. Information on make, I mean, you know, I was just opening it and you got a really good picture of a duplex escapement like layout. Mm. And so yeah. all of these sort of, you know, things which are at that time, late Victorian era, it's first or second hand. So.
0: V- very yeah. cool. So, is the Daniel's book that there's that practical watch escapement where you kind of ticks through all the different escapements? Is is that helpful? Was it helpful at all? I don't know.
2: That's no, that's not one that I've no that I've not got a lot on that. There, there's um, G- is it Gaisley clock and watch escapement Yes, that's quite yep. good. it's yeah, got yeah. Some quite okay. good stuff in it. I think it's got. It might be that that's got a big thing in about polishing in the back, sort of fairly randomly as well, Um, which is quite okay. good info. Um, yeah, cool. So uh, yeah, yeah, there's tidbits here and there, really. Yeah. Um, Do you spend
1: much time uh, on the AHS members bit of the website, going? Because I, I can get lost in that for hours and hours yeah. at a time, just going down rabbit holes, doing different searches that searches all the uh, the magazines
2: that they've released back to the eighteen sixties or something. I a- I can't yeah, it's about eighteen fifty eight, isn't it? The first of the yeah. BHI uh, Horological Institute journals. Wow. Doing uh, yeah, I, I dived into that a lot when I was doing research for my talk AHS talk that I did recently on the engine turners. Oh, um, cool that was uh yeah, I got you know, I got some some of the info out of that. Um so the first uh the first uh not director, chairman, um the president of the BHI uh started work as an engine turner. He was engine in turning dials and cases mm-hmm. in Clarkenwell in the eighteen twenties. Very good. Um so yeah, just finding snippets out, things like that.
1: So have you got a have you got a big book collection? I know
2: Roman has. Roman had to buy another house, I think, to house all the. <laughs> well, I've only got one copy of Daniel's. You know, so clearly I'm not going to be on a you know on a par. Uh, yeah, I don't know whether I quite compete with that. i it's probably getting close. Um, you know, so I do. I keep and it's the going to the clock and watch fairs. Books is one of the things I sort of always looked yeah. at, looked for at the fairs. Yeah. Um, you know, people pass these things on and and move on. That's that's sort of a good place to pick them up.
1: Yeah, I've yeah. I've uh, I had one of my things in lockdown, which which was um, prompted by Roman. So I'm going to blame you, Roman. Um, <laughs> this <laughs> Sorry. Uh, is du- during lockdown and, and COVID. I was um, spending quite a lot of time on eBay, expanding my library hmm. of uh, of watch and, and clock making books. So yeah, I've got quite a few now, and, and I like going to the BHI um, meetings as well, where they have little auctions. Uh, the local meetings and picking up all sorts of stuff that's great yeah. so do, do you have um a, a sort of a quite a healthy collection of your own pocket watches or is it literally you're just working on them for other people in the main
2: um uh, i've got a few um mostly because i'm rubbish at selling stuff <laughs> <laughs> so you know uh, i'll see something on ebay that strikes an interest or something and and put in a low bid and occasionally i'll get it you know it's feeling um, in the world so i i mean uh, i quite like um uh, early lever stuff or when levers became more common in the 1820s so i've got a few sort of mid to mid 1820s to up to about 1840. um but i you know I, i've tried to sort of think about what i might like and actually what i like are because i'm based in london uh and i love all the history of watchmaking here in clerkenwell in particular Mm. uh, watches which are signed with a name of in clerkenwell or you know in london um so i've got i've got a few like that you know i mean i'm talking a few i've got about a dozen watches maybe 15 or something but that i actually like that because the the name you know having a london's uh, 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 the name of the person on the watch there is actually someone who is involved in the manufacture of that watch and isn't just a retailer because most of yes. the signatures you get on watches are just retailers. Mm. So, you know, having having one that, that actually did some work on that watch, um, you know, is sort of to me is a connection between them and me. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, in some way.
0: Absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about some some of the work that you do um, because I'm aware that, you know, Phil and I kind of know, but there'll be people listening and go, he keeps talking about it. But, what's your kind of what's day to day what would what, what sort of services do you do in terms of just looking after these watches what can you do if people are interested in fixing something getting something fixed like
2: what what do you do uh i well um, a master of no what's the phrase <laughs> a master of, all of trade, everything master of none. jack yeah. of all trades um, master of everything yeah in essence um anything that, that an antique watch pocket watch might require um, yep. so mostly w- working on 19th and 18th century, sometimes 17th, um, sometimes early 20th. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, cleaning, servicing, making parts that are broken, uh, refinishing stuff now and again, but often, uh, but there, there's a crossover with sort of conservation work, if you like. So sometimes a repair might be more complicated because you're trying to retain as much yes, of the original as possible. Um, yeah. But I've got into modifying jewels, making jewels, oh, wow. because sometimes you have to do that. Um, uh, and um, and then, in well, since about 2014, I made my first case, because that was something that I was, you know, I'd done a lot of case repairs and thought I wanted to have a go at making a, a whole case. Um, and so That's that sort of me. led me down that path.
0: I mean, that case making is incredible to me, because I was trying to wreck my brain about who would be the last person to make a case? Would it be uh, Martin Matthews, maybe? Like, who was the last so, person to actually make cases in the UK that we know of?
2: Yeah, I, I think, um, and I'm happy to be corrected on this, but I think I'm the only commercial case maker and, like, pocket right. watch case maker in the UK. Yeah. Um, there are others who are making wristwatch cases um, uh, and probably using modern techniques for that. Um uh so you know by and large um i mean yeah. the struthers make their own cases but yeah james lamb's
0: friend techniques. of mine um, makes a case um, as
2: well they uh i know they've learned some of their case making from a chap whose name escapes me now who passed away last year um oh, yes. who they were quite close to um yeah so sort of continued his line in a way um and uh but yeah, I don't think there's anyone. He made wrist and pocket watch cases, although I, right. I, I never met him. But yeah, I, Martin Matthews was kind of the. Uh, there's there's a couple of people who've done it hobby work, if you like. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. There are others that are capable, but I think I'm the only one doing it now, um, on any commercial basis.
1: Yeah, well, and you, I, and you start you started off um, as Roman said earlier. You started the easy easy route and went half hunter, yeah, yeah. <laughs> half hunter straight away. <laughs> right. I mean, it, what what's do you have a favourite type of case? Is it half hunter or
2: rail, um, or f- they're they're almost all different. I mean, I've yeah. made you know I've made an outer case for uh, a watch from seventeen hundred, and I've yeah. made um, a cabriolet case in gold for a uh, Edward Howard movement, like the super rare Prince oh, wow. Howard movement wow. from nineteen oh eight or so. So they're sort of worlds apart from one another. Um, the type of case I've made most often would be a mid to late 19th century style uh, display case. So that's an English movement um, in a case oh, with glass front and back. Right. Um, that's cool. It doesn't necessarily need uh, joints, which is what casemakers call hinges. There's sure. a saying, and I can't remember who said it, that, that doors have hinges, but cases have joints. Something like that, <laughs> uh, but I have to explain that every time I mention joints to a, a client or anything that that's what a case joint is. is Do you know thing.
0: why I reckon that happens? I think that's like a what what are they called? A shibboleth, you know, that thing where you, how you display your knowledge. It's kind of how maybe watchmakers kind of su- size up clients and oh, other. Probably. Watchmakers, yeah. like, oh, you know, you called it hinges. What an idiot. Yeah. Like, like, right. so it's, <laughs> it's, it's very cool. I, I like the inside baseball knowledge kind of thing. Very yeah. cool. Um, so, so, can I just ask purely for practical point of view? Uh, there'll be people listening. And when I say people, I mean me, uh, who have a drawer full of movement, you know, pocket watch moves. Because I love, you know, now particularly, you know, I love a pocket watch. I'm accumulating them at an alarming rate. Yeah. What would be a rough cost, you know, and obviously they vary in all that. But like, what, what's what sort of order of magnitude cost-wise if somebody had a pocket watch case that they were attached to, to to yeah. get something made? What's a ballpark figure?
2: Uh, it's most likely going to be a few thousand. A few thousand, yeah. It's well, though, that's re- I mean well.
0: that's very reasonable, uh, but it's not yeah. sort of you know cost prohibitively twenty thousand kind of thing. So. No, I mean uh,
2: I mean uh, you know that that would be basic if you like you know but yeah no i understand that, yeah, what sure. you then add on to it you know when, once you get into a into a hunter where you've got you know with a full dome back as well and the springs and also sure. you know, yeah, yeah yeah it
0: adds, to that, it, sure. adds up. Yeah.
2: Um, and once you move it into gold as well obviously that that adds you know substantially. yeah material
0: cost and all that yeah yeah be, and the reason i'm asking is because there's nothing to me there's nothing sadder than you know going to ebay or whatever and opening up like a pocket watch typing in pocket watch into the listing and there's like you know ten thousand listings and you go yeah. and all those things are just kind of a lot of them are sitting in the drawer never going to mm. be loved again until you know because really. the cases were scrapped for metal it always breaks my heart you know because there's some yeah. outstanding examples as well
1: well we've got blue peter to blame for uh, a lot of the missing cases and, and we stuff, do you remember that from the uh blue you know the blue peter it's a children's program over here roman and and yeah, yeah, they have the they yeah. They have a big appeal every year, where you know one year it might be bottle tops or this that, and the other. And in the seventies, oh. they had an appeal for pocket watches to melt oh, down yeah. the cases to raise yeah. money for some famine somewhere or something. And uh, they got you know tens of thousands of thousands of thousands of pocket watches yeah. sent yeah. to them, uh, where you know s- some some dealer or, or you know whoever was buying up the buying the movements back from the BBC, but they were having the cases and melt melting them down to. Get the money. So yeah, I'm sure it's no. been going on for a lot longer than Blue Pizza has, but uh,
2: it's still a you mm. know, quite a quite a thing. Mm. Yeah. Well, you do sometimes see you know, case, of, you know, movements, say 18th century movements that have been recased in the 19th century. Um, you know, in silver, probably it was probably a gold case, and the, yeah, you know, sure, families on hard times or whatever, and they sold the gold and and had it put into a silver case. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, then that's it. Go on.
0: Uh, no, 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 Phil, you go, I'll ask mine. Then no, you, okay.
1: you you crack on, crack them.
0: Uh, no, my question was kind of more about, you know, if you, someone's listening to this sort of from my perspective as an enthusiast kind of thing, I want to get into pocket watches, whatever, you know, one of the big kind of worries is who's going to work on these. I'll buy this thing. If it doesn't tick, who's going to service it? Is there an era that you think a pocket watch, if you buy a pocket watch from these kind of things, you can take it to a local watchmaker, they can work on it. It's not a verge, you know, it's not a, you know, chain and fusee kind of thing. Um, hmm. is there kind of late 18th century, 19th century? Is there like a crossover where you're like, well, anyone can just about work on this, anyone competent?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, I think anyone, you know, uh, someone who's familiar with servicing, say, a 50s. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think wouldn't have an issue with most late 19th century okay. work, certainly Swiss or, or American. Um, English, it would depend whether it was Fusey or not, because if you're not really familiar with it, I mean, I don't, don't see touch them it. as a big deal, but I know there are people who just won't touch something. Well,
0: I love but the casual you, mention of like, that's just insane to me, the tiny little champion.
2: Yeah, go, it's fine. Look, it's, <laughs> all you need is
0: two hands. If you don't have hooks for hands, you'll be fine.
2: Just get yeah. into it. <laughs> um, so, okay. yeah. I, I mean, in my view, I, I think you can get a really nice quality late 19th century English pocket watch um, yep. uh, that will keep really excellent time um, and not really require any other work beyond what you know your 1950s omega or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Might, you know um it, it, yeah it just sort of depends what um uh, well I, what... I'm,
1: due, I'm duty i'm bound at this uh, at this stage to to wave the flag for uh, epping forest horology center do you have you come across them before seth I, I've come. I've never been, but I'm. I'm aware of it. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm uh, a member there. I'm actually on the on the committee as well on the sort of operations committee side of things, trying trying to help out, trying to keep. You know, it, it's there's a lot of people there with a lot of skill that were you know trying to keep pass on some some skills to different generations. Amazing. Hopefully, hopefully some of them will pass on to me very <laughs> very slightly. Absolutely. Um, And uh, yeah, so it's a centre. It's in Epping Forest, which is north of London. So it's based in London. It's it's north of London um, in Essex, and um, it's uh, there's a it's it it started off mainly doing clocks, but then developed into watches as well. So there's there's no courses at the moment on fusees on things like that, but there are instructors there who can work on fusees, and there's some really knowledgeable. Uh, guys, there uh, like John Woods, who's, who's one of the good uh, watching structures elite majoria, and um, on clocks, there's quite a few. Like um, I've, I've noticed Francis Brody, who um, I think he recently gave a lecture at Greenwich. Um, so there's a, a, a huge amount of knowledge there that is important, that that's not lost. So yeah, that's that's the end of my flag waving.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so with yourself, Seth, is what's the plan? Is there a plan? Would you would you make your own so being a repairer service person craftsman is there is there a natural link to i I, sh, I wonder if i could make my own from scratch or is that not a not an itch you'd want to even entertain no
2: it, that that's an itch that's been there for a long time great since reading daniels basically
0: oh wow um, okay it's got a lot of to but, that okay.
2: or since you know learning a bit more from from yeah, yeah, yeah. Through, from that or you know and seeing seeing what he did um I know what I want to make and it's partly designed. Right. But oh, wow. okay. it's a matter of time that I've not had oh, sufficient sure. time to to dedicate to it. Um I, I I'm not sure I could do it commercially. I'm not I, I I'm kind of quite anti brand, if you like. Sure. I, I could never be a brand. You could, um, yeah, you
0: couldn't sort of make it and then sell it off under let's pick a random brand, Audemars PA, you know. No,
2: or and, or I couldn't make 10 of them or 20 of them, I'd sort of... Oh, sorry, uh, I said that way. Yeah, in yeah, some yeah, way, good. people, I, I know the, um, I mean, to, to Daniel's, I mean, it's referred to as the Daniel's method of watchmaking, sure. making, of making this thing. But in some senses, where, I, where I'm sort of, my mind is, is takes that even a step further, that in essence, I would only make something that I would want and then maybe i'd have to sell it and then i'd make another one it's like which is pretty that much is the Daniel, that's did, exactly
0: you know? the thing that's right and then you buy it back and sell it to the next person that add a couple oh. of thousand more than buy it back. well that's the george i mean that was george's first yeah. watch i think changed hands about six times maybe and every time he'd buy it back which then yeah. gave the original buyer more money to buy george's next watch while george would yeah. flip his first watch to the next person next owner as his first watch and then buy it back <laughs> a couple of years later and sell yeah. him the next one it was a genius method by the way so yeah. I think anyway.
2: So, yeah. So I, okay. I think I think that's where, that's sort of where I'm at. But, okay. you know, obviously, if it's not really going to be sold, when am I going to find the time to make it? Or, you know, and being so, um, you know, obviously doing the case making means I've got that side of it. You're covered, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, engine turning, right.
0: you've got covered as well, because yeah. I know you um, do that.
2: Yeah, so it's... Wow. um That's so exciting It's... To it's become it's becoming more feasible than it would have been say five years ago. Just right. in terms of my workshop facilities and things like that, you know. So perhaps one day it will happen. But um, but I'm real realistic. I'm not sitting here and saying yeah I'm going to be making it in five years time. Uh, yes, sure,
0: sure, 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 sure. You know, and and, it, and I'm always, one of the questions I, I, I tend to ask any whenever I make uh, meet anybody who, who can make things, because I can't make things. how easy would it be to part with that object? So you make it, let's say it takes three years. What's the handing over process? How attached do you get to things when you um, spend, you know, three years, two inches away from it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get quite attached to some of the cases. Um, right. You know, so I get that already, you know, I, I have that yeah, issue yeah. where it's sort of like, this is quite a nice watch now, you know, all I got was a movement and now there's this really nice watch that I've spent right. all this time on and sure. now I have sure, to sure. give it to this other person who, okay, admittedly has paid me, but, you know. But it's still, it's mine, <laughs> uh, not asking, theirs. Asking I, I, the I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's really mm. interesting because I've encountered, um, we've in, we've asked this sort of question to a couple of makers on the show and you get sort of two almost diametrically opposed responses. So I know we had David Walter, who is this Australian-born American, well, he's now been in California, Mm. clockmaker and now watchmaker as well. And I asked him a question. He's like, no, you know, pretty pragmatic about it. This thing only exists because somebody's paid me to make it. So it's once it's done, I'm really proud of it. I get to enjoy the handing over. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm done. I Mm. can move on. And there are others who kind of, well, no, it's part of me now is always, you know, the yeah, so yeah. Yeah, I'm always really because I, I think I'm I'm personally I would be more on your side of the spectrum right. in that way like I I, yeah. I would get inordinately opposed, uh, attached. So that's very cool.
2: I, I suppose with the um uh, with the cases, I mean, there is my mark on it because they're hallmarked, and yes, so there is course. a little bit of me always on it, in essence. And someone might pick it up in fifty years or hundred years time, and they could find out. That it was me that made it i mean yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. Fairly sort of way of looking at it if you like but you know um i suppose i i'm not you know not parting with this thing entirely um, yes uh that that's it, cool you know it's trace that there's a traceable link there to me that i, I know exists so
0: so um, that is really actually that is really lovely i've never i haven't thought of it but yeah that makes perfect sense because you'd have your own maker's hallmark thing that you have to yeah. register with the SA office or whatever that's that's very cool Phil, have you ever co- contemplated making dusting? Making off the... What? Oh, I'm,
1: yeah. I'm, I'm nowhere near clear enough to uh, make. So, I, I mean, Seth, as you probably gathered, I do quite a lot of tinkering in my spare time, um, mainly on vintage Seiko. So, I'm, I'm, I'm after your. So, all the 1950 Seikos you get, send them my way. Uh, <laughs> the 50s, 60s Seikos, yeah. I'll, I'll happily take them. Um, and uh, but I do do other stuff as well, but it's all stuff that you know, fairly boring stuff by by your standards. Um, but I don't do it for, a, for, for my day job. I've got a, you know, a busy job, uh, outside of that, which is a perennial problem because there are never enough hours in the day to, to fit everything in. And, and like you, I, I, I grew up for an engineering background. Um, I got made redundant twice. Uh, mm. and I ended up in, uh, in a, in a particular, uh, part of construction, unfortunately, and then discovered watches many years later and horology many years later. But, but, um, yeah, it's, it, um. I mean, really, the the thing I want to ask you is is when, when's your book coming out, Seth?
0: <laughs> and a oh, DVD series as well. Just, yeah. You know, let's keep it modern. I,
2: I, I'm I well I with filming. I know there are people out there, you know, and YouTube is sort of seems to be a, a big deal to some. But I, I don't I'm not of that mindset. I think and and um, uh, certainly not filming filming stuff for, you know sort of on uh, for sort of YouTube publication or anything. I don't know whether I mean, you know, all this research I did recently for engine turners. That's the first time I've done any anything along those lines, um, and I guess it could theoretically, you know, that could turn into a book. If you can publish a book on the fusy chain makers, which has been done, um, you know, you could probably a book could be published on uh, on engine turners, but that's not, you know, that doesn't cover cover what I do. It's just another element of horology that's not really been looked at in in a in a way. Um, but this
0: is you. It's a callback to Daniels doing all you know his publications you know English American watches you know that kind of stuff. That's that's your yeah. contribution to the canon. That's awesome. To so that, well,
1: well what, watchmaking by George Daniels, case making by Seth Kennedy. Yeah. Well,
0: um, I can envisage the double box set already.
1: Yeah. I can, I can <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean the, the thing is i mean it, it's interesting that you mentioned youtube and there's there's lots and lots of people i know you know we, even in with my very very limited knowledge there's lots of youtube videos i watch of, of people mending and servicing um you know modern lever watches and and it the, the the information they're giving out is perhaps not the best in in all occasions and mm-hmm. it must be for you because there, there are far fewer videos uh for you guys you know for for Cover what you do. I'm sure um, it must be very difficult to watch them and and see if someone's doing something wrong and not want to scream and go, my God! There's only you know, there's actually yeah, three I'm dozen trying. that can do
2: this. Don't ruin it. I very rarely watch anything along those lines just because, yeah, I, I mean, but that's partly why I'm I'm afraid, I suppose, to, to put anything up like that of my own, just knowing that there'll be someone somewhere going, oh, you know, he's doing that all wrong and, and things. He's holding but, a um, screwdriver wrong.
0: I'd never hold it Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Our so. people
0: are the worst, always, yeah. just in general, not even just on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, look, that that's that's very cool. I mean, I was going to ask, kind of the kind of what the future, what what are you focusing on? Kind of is it much of the same? Is it you know getting maybe an apprentice or two and growing the empire, or what's the the Seth yeah. Kennedy future twenty twenty three onwards?
2: Um, well, it won't be a brand. Um, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> I. Uh, um, workshop move that I had a couple of years ago has allowed me space to have Victor up there now as yes. well. So um, you know, and that's something I couldn't have contemplated five years ago happening or didn't right. you know would have liked but didn't know how that might happen. Um so but equally I wouldn't want to enlarge my empire as it were and end <sighs> up just managing people doing stuff yes. and not doing it myself. Um yep. so at the moment I guess I'm focusing trying to move things a little way to do probably to do fewer jobs, but those that are more specialized and sort of really yeah. need skills that I've acquired. Um, and also the case-making while there are people out there who are willing to commission me to make cases that I kind of try and try and prioritize some of that, you know, over the next few years, uh, and, and do more of that and, but get to a point where I'm also then showing those skills to someone um yeah to pass that on um you know i don't know how quite how all of that's going to pan out or you know work out but sort of those are my thoughts um yeah currently um so well and, and as you realize i've not said oh i'm going to make my own watch because you know i'm not you like but you know yeah, yeah yeah it's not my it's not you know it's not something i can envision happening you know sure. in the short term so you know maybe if you ask me again in three or four years if what I've described has come about, then that might be the next step, you know.
1: Yeah, well, I'm certainly looking forward to following your engine turning progress. Um, you know, it's 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 good to see what you know. There's um, some, some beginner videos, if you like, or not beginner, but some early videos on there at the moment. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that develops.
2: Yeah, yeah, that I mean that's been a relatively recent thing really. Um, getting this Quest scholarship a couple of years ago. Again, the mm. pandemic's kind of thrown, you know, through all the timing of that kind of all um all haywire. Um but yeah, I mean it's great. I was doing a little bit today, um, you know, trying to keep my hand in. I, I I've gone into it knowing that horological work will not pay for it, if you like, but sure. that it was something I wanted to do to comp- in essence, become a complete case maker, if you like, or to have yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, to have yeah. that skill because it's not like you can go and, you know, there's not really many people you can go and ask to do that. So um, just taking this, you know, being able to do it myself was, you know, it was always a goal. Um, hmm.
0: So so that was the Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Trust.
2: Yeah. The
0: yeah. What does that entail? Like, what do you, do you have to show a bit at the end? Like, what's the requirement to either get it or to kind of complete it what's the
2: so um so applying for a scholarship you need to demonstrate that you already have skill if you yeah, like you've no, accomplished that. or you know uh, the, of the sort of scholarship i was going for um because they do help sort of students with course fees and things like that as yeah, well yeah yeah obviously yeah you wouldn't necessarily have have a background um hmm. so uh i mean so that that was that was something i need to yep. do um, and then, yeah, and then it's sort of keep keeping them up to date with the, with progress as you've gone through the training. Um, right. I had a series of one to one sessions um, with this chap called Steve Keen, who is um, kind of the last subcontract engine turner um, oh, in wow. the UK. Okay. Um wow. uh, And he doesn't just rely on engine turning either, but he's been doing it since the apprenticeship in the '80s. So um, wow. Okay. You know, he's highly skilled. Um, yeah. And then also it's, it, um, you know, Brittany's visit as well as part of the scholarship. Yeah, um, great. Uh, that's upcoming still. Um, so, yeah, and then it's just sort of, um, you know, showing showing what you've learned really or, you know, um, that you've made progress as you've gone through.
0: I mean, it's, it's really good that these opportunities exist. I, I know they don't cover the costs and I'm sure, you know, the time invested by you is nowhere, I would imagine, is not recompensed to any of but I think it's really good that, there are some institutions that actually value the craft and the skill and are prepared to support it now. Cause my big worry yeah. is, you know, all these skills are so fleeting, you know, you, that chap you were, you were meeting, started apprenticeship in the eighties, give right. it another 10 years. Like his skills could potentially just slowly disappear. Right. And that's, yeah. and that's, I'm really, you know, happy to hear that you've got now, you that you've now got students or acolytes, disciples, I think we called them, you know, who are kind of learning with you because I think it's just, that's one of the, as we said before, to me, that's one of the, the magic of horology is that very much that unbroken line of knowledge transmission that everyone's learning the way they do things from their master who's learned it from their master. And particularly on the stuff that you work with, you know, the really old stuff. That's just yeah. so special. It's just such a special thing to to preserve. So kudos to you, for sure.
2: The, um, the engine turning was interesting because I, I managed to trace a line uh, essentially, a line of training um, mm. to Steve, if you like, who I've learned from, yeah. back to the mid 19th century.
0: That's amazing. Um, that's
2: amazing. Of, you know, that's, that's, there, there's one slightly grey join. that there, there, there is a connection, but I can't be definite on it of yeah, who yeah, exactly yeah. Gotcha. Who it was. Gotcha. But there's clearly yeah. a connection at some point there. That's in mm. around sort of early 20th century. But in essence, there's this line of um, from uh from a yeah a chap who sort of started in the mid eighteen in about 1850 um in uh soho area i think and um you know that, that, that ran through um, fantastic so so now i kind of feel that responsibility i'm kind of yeah, potentially the next link in the link in, the, chain, you're the, link you know?
0: in the fusee yeah. chain of knowledge yeah there you go <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> very good
2: very <laughs> good
0: <laughs> gotta put my dad joke in before i run to do you know, have to go and do a school run i thought i better get my
1: Dad jokes in early. Mm. Okay, uh, speaking speaking of uh, unbroken chains, haven't you got? Is it your grandfather's or your great grandfather's hammer or some tools or something?
2: Yeah, my my grandfather's hammer. So, um, in uh, during the Second World War, when my my father was born, uh, my grandfather was doing some watchmaking, um, and so on. My father's birth certificate, my grandfather's occupation is down as watchmaker. Oh, um, but oh. both my father and my grandfather had passed away before I'd sort of come into this line. Yeah, um, wow. but the, this small hammer and it, it's a very short hammer. It's not you know, most watchmakers hammers you see are quite long, you know, have quite a long handle. This is half that length. It's only sort of about five inches long. Um, and, oh. um, I think I was 12 when he passed away and it was something that I obviously must've seen at the time and liked and, and, you know, acquired as a, as a memory, if you like, and sort of sat yeah, when I was doing all my model making as a teenager and, and stuff. Um, I didn't really use it because I didn't know have anything to use it for or know what to do with it. Sure. And then all sure, these sure, years sure. later, it's become something I use not daily, but regularly knocking dents out of pocket watch cases. Yeah. It's um, fantastic. So, uh, yeah. yeah that's, very special.
0: You know. like a warm glow in the heart area. Mm. That's lovely. <laughs> that said. No, look, I mean, because I'm not a technical you know, I come from this very much from the history importance of preservation and really romance of horology to me horology is just you know it's it's a it's a magic thing in a box and when people can do stuff can make Mm -hmm. stuff i mean to me that's the pure wizardry there's no other words to kind of explain it but hearing kind of stories of family connections or connections to a particular place um are still flourishing and you know like it's just magical that's there's no other word for it that's why you know we we all talk about this stuff rather than iPhones and the rest of it, right? (laughs) (laughs) So look, Seth, it's been an absolute pleasure uh to to meet you you and sort of just hear about your journey into into this craft, but also like the contributions that you're making now, both in your you know talks and transmission of knowledge. it has been a pure, purely brilliant. So can't thank you enough for joining us. It's been brilliant. All
1: right, thank you very much. Fantastic.
0: Fifth wrist is by the community for the community. We would love you to join the crew via our group chat on Slack. Email us at contact at and join the movement.